You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Subscribe to Inclusion Revolution Radio wherever you get your podcasts. So as you graduate and head out into the world, there's only one thing that you need to know. Hi, this is Jamie from Progressive. Yeah, I can talk now. Progressive protects you 24-7. So, tell me what happened. Oh, I'm sorry, Gene. Can you give me one second? Um, brush up for every meal. Congratulations and thank you. Sorry about that. I'm back. So tell me about this fender bender. Contact us 24-7 on the phone, online, or on the mobile app. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Coverage subject to policy terms. This is a podcast from Minute Media. This is the Yanks Go Yard Podcast with Adam Weinrib and Thomas Carinante. Welcome on into a live mid-game edition of the Yanks Go Yard Podcast. I'm Adam Weinrib alongside Thomas Carinante. The New York Yankees are in the midst of a four-game set in Baltimore. They've taken the first three games. They are 28-9 and on the season. Jordan Montgomery is starting the fourth one, so they'll have taken three out of four in this series, and I guess... That's all right. Just kidding. When this podcast begins, it's a 3-3 ball game. It started exactly like every other Jordan Montgomery game. They went up 2-0. He blew that lead. They went down 3-2. Now it's 3-3. So follow along for updates. We will be live throughout at least, I don't know, an inning or two, depending on how slowly the Yankees play and how much offense they put up. But again, it's a Jordan Montgomery game, so precious little. We are going to talk about the rarefied air this team is in right now, though. 28-9. and to start the season is an NBA record. It's how you judge hockey teams. That's an absurd record to have. Only the 2001 Mariners and 98 Yankees in the modern era have reached that plateau, which is why it felt so special. Even in a random 3-0 game that became 3-2 against the Orioles and Clay Holmes had to bring it, you know, come in for a two-inning save. That's why even that sort of random game that in the grand scheme of things doesn't matter all that much. You know, one run game in the ninth, Clay Holmes blows that. You go home with your head held low for a few minutes, and then you ultimately regroup. But after getting the win, you realize you've got the kind of start that history is made on. A lot of people, at least a couple people, noted yesterday that the Sports Illustrated cover that the 98 Yankees were on, that came out when that team was 28-9, hit newsstands yesterday, May 18th, 98. So... It felt kind of special to get that win and to hit that mark. Of course, today's game has been a struggle, back and forth slog, but that's very impressive. So we want to be positive on the show, and we will, but we are also going to talk about the dumbass left field wall at Camden Yards, which is not a competitive disadvantage for the Yankees in particular, but is objectively stupid. So we're going to drop some truth bombs uh, on some Orioles fans who are being purposely uh, misleading about what it means and why it was installed and and why we're looking at a monster here. Giancarlo Stanton's home run that tied this game was the first visiting home run to clear that fence this year. If you think that's good for baseball, you're wrong. Also, Aaron Judge owned game two of this series. 
you want to talk wall. He hit two bombs, could have had a third. If not for the fence, that's how this whole wall thing got started. But in the wake of that, the Yankees made a pretty interesting admission about the way his contract talks might be going in the coming weeks and months. Despite the success, we got a couple of Yankees on the shit list, and one of them might be losing his job very soon, or at least the tide is turning in that direction. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Drop us a five-star review. Drop us a mailbag question. If you want to, we'll be more than happy to answer it. So far, the mailbag questions, universally great. When you actually do drop them, we've been more than happy to talk about them. And you can also find us live on YouTube, 2 o'clock Eastern time, Mondays and Thursdays, and surrounding big games. If the opportunity arises, we will we will go live. If the Yankees walk somebody off, throw a no-hitter, do something insane, you might just find us on the air to take advantage of that moment. Thomas Carinante, welcome on into the podcast. If I gave you 100 tries at getting a ball over the left field wall at Camden Yards, would you come within 100 feet? Uh, absolutely not, because I'm a lefty. So my apple power oh, yeah, sucks. Yeah. My apple power is terrible. Um, but yeah, even if I was a righty, Eh, you'd probably need to hit a golf ball um, shoot, shot out of a pitching machine at 90 miles an hour. Um, I, I mean, we can complain. We'll spend, we'll spend another 30 minutes doing this. I don't care. Ripping Chris Woodward last week for his baby comments. Um, and I know it seems a little bit hypocritical because you see the quotes in the media. You have Aaron judge making fun of it. You have Aaron Boone making fun of it. Um and they're not making fun of it because they feel like they've been slighted. You think Judge was mad? Oh, man, I didn't hit three home runs. Like, that's bullshit. That's not fair. No. The whole argument here is that, and fans should be on board with this, especially fans of the Orioles, because you know the, the, the intent here was clear. The Orioles signed nobody. They are, they are um, enduring one of the worst tank jobs probably in the history of the sport. And this was a, 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 a slimy strategic move for them to avoid giving up more runs to opponents. Um, and the biggest difference here is that Camden Yards was first, you know, construction began on Camden Yards in 1989. Um, the park opened in 1992. So this place has been around for 30 years without any alterations. It has been, it's a beloved ballpark. Um, I've only been once in my life, and it was way, way uh, it was way, when I was way younger. I know you've been more recent, but it is yeah. it is widely accepted as one of the nicest ballparks and coziest places in Major League Baseball. Um, so for the Orioles to make these alterations with one clear goal in mind, which is not to do anything else than prevent runs and make it harder for their competition, is I I mean it's just it, it's the exact way that we view owners in this day and age. It's, it's a way to save money. So they don't have to pay players. Um, it's a way to have their players viewed a little bit more favorably. Um, maybe it's even a strategy to not get them to pay their own in-house offensive guys. If their power numbers are not as robust as they were years prior. I don't know. Either way, there was a clear concerted effort here to do that. And the difference between this and Yankee stadium is clear. Yankee stadium built in 1923, same dimensions, Knocked down the old stadium in 2008, built a new one in 2009, same dimensions. Everything's the same. Uh, the Yankees did not create a short porch back in 1923 with the goal in mind of, oh, let's uh, let's disadvantage our opponents. If anything, they were saying, oh, well, we can make it easier for us maybe to hit home runs, but I, I guess our opponents can also do that too. So, shit, either way, this is fun. It's short, it's short to left and right field. This is great. And that's exactly the, the short porch. The short porch helps both teams. Exactly. The, lo- the long porch hurts both teams. Why yeah. would you want to hurt the home team? I don't know. Ask the Orioles people. Exactly. Um, Yankee Stadium been now. Yankee Stadium similar, same dimensions. Been around for now a century, co- going into the ne- next year. Um, and not to mention this Oriole, Orioles wall. I know it sounds like we're nitpicking here, but you've seen the plays that were made in that awkward corner. That's a that's a hazard for defenders. You run into that. You run into that corner. You have your leg roll up on you, or you dive incorrectly and you hit the side of the wall. Like that's dangerous stuff. You see enough players crash into the crash into regular structures of outfield walls where they are, you know, maybe misjudging a fly ball or running too fast or whatever it is. Um, this makes it harder for even good outfielders who have good judge of their space and 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 uh, and have that spatial awareness because of the odd shape and how part of it just goes farther back and the other the, the the other fence is in. And the most ridiculous part of all this 
was, I mean, if you think we're unnecessarily complaining about this, Giancarlo Stanton, 20 minutes ago, became the first visiting player to hit a home run to left field at Camden Yards this year. I don't know how many games are played. I could look that I could look that up uh, when it's your turn to rant. But I mean, that is I don't understand. I don't understand how this is appealing for anybody. And the, the once again, the argument is not, oh, it, the argument isn't that this is creating a disadvantage. It's that they did this with one goal in mind. And it's not even comparable to the Yankee Stadium uh, argument because that has existed forever and that's been utilized in the same manner by everybody for the last hundred years so it, the arguments that are happening on Twitter right now on social media nobody is understanding what you know what what the actual crux is look if I were a fan of another team and I saw Aaron Judge and Aaron Boone talking about a creative park and how you know how they look what they did to my boy they massacred my boy like I would be making fun of them of course I would because but that's not groundbreaking stuff. It's like if you if you come at Yankee fans with like, oh, please, you guys just made fun of Chris Woodward for saying stuff about the short porch. Yeah, we're fans of the Yankees. Like, oh, nice job, Sherlock. You, you figured it out. We we support our team and, and make fun of opposing teams. Wow, you, you really unlocked that code. But most importantly, there's nothing inherently wrong with a faraway wall. Like, it, it, you know, if, if your stadium came with this, and there was no insidious, like the Green Monster Fenway Park is a crazy structure. Every time I look at it, I go, that exists. It's nice that that's a quirk of baseball. Sometimes you hit a ball off it that should be gone, but it's not. It hits the Green Monster. It is what it is. Um, was it potentially, I don't know the origins of the Green Monster. Was it built to be a curiosity? Was it built to suppress runs in early baseball? Probably not. Nobody hit homers when the Green Monster was built. So I don't think there was any ulterior motive there. That was probably just like, hey, we could do something weird. And then they did something weird, and that's great. Uh, nothing wrong with the Green Monster. It's also been there forever. The Baltimore Orioles, and you're going to hear all sorts of wheel spinning excuses from their fans about the creation of this wall and what the intention was and why it's actually great. I know why you're defending it. You're defending it because it's in your stadium, and you don't want to hear about it. That's why we defend the short porch, which is, again, an original feature of the stadium and a lot more defensible, but... That's just, that's our take. That's our opinion. I know why you're defending the wall. It's because you're a Baltimore Orioles fan and you've been to Camden Yards for your whole life. And this year they decided they were going to make the wall crazy and you had to decide it was good. You, you know, there, you were, there was never a world where, world where you were going to be like, uh, this massive change made to my stadium is terrible. I'm boycotting the team, right? The Reds ownership said, where are you guys going to go? Same with the Orioles. Are you guys going to go root for the Nationals? That's actually not how it works. Like, you're a fan of a team. It's in your blood. You could try to. You could try not to watch. It's probably hard for A's fans right now to boycott their team. They're not going to the games. It's probably very difficult, but they're still at home rooting for the A's. You're rooting for the Orioles. If somebody comes for you in the discourse, you're going to come up with reasons why the wall is great. You built the wall so that you didn't have to pay for pitching and develop pitching. It's a shortcut. You know, you're still going to try it. Grayson Rodriguez, top prospect. D.L. Hall, top prospect. The Orioles pitching is going to get better, probably. But there's never been more good pitching in baseball between, like, 1968 and present. This is the era of great pitching because pitchers are more advanced than hitters. They have not sticky stuff that's been outlawed, but they have some form of, of tacky substance that helps them get a grip on the ball. They are There are more bullpen arms throwing 98 to 101 than ever before. Pitching is absolutely... Uh, you know, it's not the it's not easy to draft and develop pitchers, but there's more pitching out there than ever before. You could pay for it if you can't develop it. The Orioles instead probably ran an efficiency cost cutting, you know, e equation. And Mike Elias, the architect of the Astros mega tank, was like, oh, my goodness, it would be more efficient to build a different wall 50 feet behind the other one than it would be to sign pitchers to three year contracts and also our team has been tanking for five years. It's hard to convince anybody to come here for money. So, you know, what's easier than doing that? You know, we'll get Jordan Lyles and then we'll move the wall back 50 feet. You know why you did it. We all know why you did it. Uh, we're going to have to live with it. No one is whining and complaining. Again, in the, the game where Aaron Judge was complaining about losing a third homer, the Yankees won that game. The game where, you know, everybody was laughing at the Giancarlo Stanton ball that was a, you know, ridiculous 114 mile an hour exit velocity and the launch angle was insane and ended up being a single off the bottom of the wall. Everybody was laughing at that. But the, yes, the Yankees have won the first three games of the series and they're tied in the middle of the fourth one. No Yankee fan is blaming the wall for stealing law. I mean, no rational Yankee fan. I'm sure there's some people out there who were like, yeah, we would already won by more if not for the dang wall. Who, who cares? You know, 
those people, no one's catering to those people. We're just catering to the argument that this was not done for some noble purpose of increasing balls in play and getting baseball back to the good old days and adding singles and let's bring singles and doubles back. Like this isn't the MAGA wall of getting baseball back to the way it was played in the fifties. And some Orioles fans are like, no, how many times have you seen a home run? It's so boring. Now the wall presents the chance at unique caroms and interesting bounces as if they're going home and telling their grandkids, like you'll never believe what I saw today. A home run grandpappy. No, a, a bounce. Was it a triple at least? No, it was a double. Oh, aren't there like eight of those per game in any regulation contest? Yeah. And then the conversation just sort of peters out. I mean, th- there's no grand ambition and noblesse to this giant wall. It was a cost-cutting measure. It was an attempt to drum down offense at Camden Yards, and it's working so far because the ballpark went from like 3.4 homers a game to just over one homer per home game so far this year. And if you are the kind of person who's really willingly deluding yourself into thinking that that's what baseball wants, you know, people want to see the ball put in play. Nobody wants to see home runs become singles. And if you think that that's what Rob Manfred's critics are talking about when they're saying they want more contact, then you're, you're just lying to yourself. And the, the league office is probably not thrilled to be losing two homers a game at the stadium where one of the worst teams in baseball already resides. If you're going to a game at Camden Yards, you are paying to see one of the four worst teams in Major League Baseball. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, at least I'll see some home runs. And now you won't. So <laughs> clearly, uh, Rob Manfred, you know, th- this is not what he had envisioned or had in mind. It will be interesting to see how long this lasts. The Astros Hill is gone. People keep citing that as, you know, what? let people have fun. Like the Astros have their hill. No, they don't. They took it away because it was, it was bizarre. The fence was 430 feet to dead center. And in order to catch a ball that was rolling up, it, you had to run up an incline. And eventually people went, you know what? We should get rid of that hazardous hill. I don't know how much longer this is going to last, especially based on how much the commissioner medals and stuff like baseballs and bounciness. Is he really just going to be like, it's good I'm losing two home runs per game. I think that's awesome, actually. Yeah, after they fucked with the balls and everything, um, it's just dumb. Last, last bit on this before we move on. 20th home game at Camden Yards this year. 20th. First home run to left field by an opposing player by the man who was leading Major League Baseball in average exit velocity and maximum exit velocity. So if you don't see a problem with that, um, then I, I, I just can't help you. There's a lot of people I can't help, and you're probably one of them. There's um, a lot of people we can't help. But you know, I mean, Orioles fans are difficult to help at this point in time. That The New York Yankees have, again, like we said, entered the series at 25-9, and nine. In the final game of the series at 28 and nine, that means they went one, two, three, checking off wins in the first three games of the series. Uh, we're not real mad at the wall. We're just rationalizing with people. We're real happy. Again, up there with the 98 Yankees and 01 Mariners. This is an unbelievable way to start a baseball season, and it's continued in this series. Yeah, I'm more concerned about the aesthetics of watching baseball. I don't care if the Yankees are getting screwed out of a home run. I mean, the Yankees got screwed out of home runs last year at Fenway Park. I'm not crying about that. I'm, the, the, the Fenway Parks, again, existed as it has forever. The only reason I make fun of Fenway Park is because Red Sox fans think making fun of the short porch makes sense, and it doesn't because their stadium has very similar dimensions outside of you know deep, deep center field. Um, but, yeah, I, once again, I, I just don't care. I'm I'm only here. I'm only here to talk about how this affects the enjoyment of the viewing and to let people know that they're being stupid, which I love doing. Um, in more important news, uh, we don't know how true this is, but we got a report um, yesterday from uh, Brendan Cuddy of NJ.com. Um, and he said, which is not really surprising, but it's worth it's worth talking about. Uh, that the Yankees would be willing to negotiate or, you know, talk to judge rep- judges representatives during the season in regards to a contract extension, which you had to have thought that they, once again, they didn't cl- ever close the door on this judge set the opening day guideline, uh, the opening day deadline. Mm-hmm. That was the end of it. Um, he rejected the seven year, $213.5 million offer right before opening day. You all remember the press conference. Um, and then we learned also in this article that baked into that deal was, the 2022 salary at 17 million. So judge, I think now we know the details was probably right to reject that deal. Cause he wasn't getting his way in arbitration, which yeah. it, he should, 
Um, or, you know, at least an arbiter should decide and the Yankees shouldn't just be like, oh, well, we're giving you this bunch of money, so we're going to save this money this year. It doesn't really work like that. Um, I think that's a little that's a little bit in bad taste to me. That's like bad business to me. You're sneaking in a little thing. Oh, here's a shitload of money, but like also here's a – you're getting a decrease this year. Um, so we learned that. Uh, we learned that the Yankees would be willing to negotiate, which I don't think is anything new. The only thing that strikes – um, that that strikes more attention here is the fact that this came out during Judge's AL MVP leading candidacy at the moment. So if the Yankees are willing to talk in season about a contract extension with Aaron Judge, does that not indicate that they're willing to just pay at the highest point? This is like this is diving into the stock market like you know a year ago when we were at all time highs. It's the the equivalent like oh yeah we're willing to discuss with judge still um yep oh yeah he leads yeah leads the entire league in war and home runs and total bases yeah i think this would be a good time to talk to him again we thought nefariously i suppose that the yankees were using judges past history as an excuse to um or not an excuse i thought the offer was fair but they were using all the past information to bake as much um protection and uh, caution into that first offer, which also very fair offer. Also very clear that they ha- they were like, well, you know, you're getting older and you've only got two full seasons of real success under your belt with others interrupted by injury and whatnot. So, you know, here's what we're willing to offer and, and this is fair. Now, maybe they realize, I-, I-, I didn't think previously, I didn't think that a really good season from Aaron Judge was kind of going to, was kind of going to, tip the scales for them. The Yankees know what Aaron Judge is capable of when he's fully healthy. Major League Baseball fans know what Aaron Judge is capable of when he's fully healthy. The Yankees already know the amount of money that Aaron Judge brings in via advertisements, merchandising, general exposure. He's arguably arguably the face of baseball. I think we can fairly say that. How many how many times do we hear every year that, you know, someone doesn't know who Mike Trout is or have never seen him before? Um I know Shohei Otani has um uh, kind of grabbed the the international spotlight and is among the faces of the game. Um, but Aaron Judge has been around um, in the spotlight, I think, a little bit longer. Um, and he's also a giant man in the New York market. So the Yankees have all of that in the back of their minds. They know how much money he brings in. So now maybe it's just the realization that like, hey, fuck it. We're going to have to pay for him. He He made the bet. He's fulfilling his end of the bet. And now this just might be the end of it. So we don't want to lose him and we'll keep talking a contract extension. It's interesting to, to wonder who leaked this too, because you're right. If the Yankees are really willing to resume the conversation now after Aaron judge, you know, got a rest day in the first game of this series. And then everybody whined and complained about rest days. And then he came back and had his best game of the season with two homers and a near third uh, and it's kind of like, oh, maybe maybe rest days help strategically, perhaps uh, when when you're playing 23 games in 22 days. So this came out after Judge at his absolute like he's been scorching all year. He's an MVP candidate, but at his literal hottest was the moment this leak that like, hey, Yankees haven't actually closed the door on negotiations and never have, which is also an interesting little bullet point just to just to sort of remind everybody, I guess. You might be trying to steal a little goodwill back saying, oh, by the way, it was never us who set that opening day deadline. It was Aaron Judge. And now that he's mashing, you know, don't be tweeting at us that, you know, it's, you know, why didn't you, why haven't you guys talked in several months, et cetera. But if the Yankees are really willing to jump back into this pool, this is the most Judge has ever been valued at. Until, you know, say he finishes this season with an MVP in a World Series, then yeah, that price will go up some more. But Judge in a walk year, you know, with AL MVP type numbers without with more than just exit velocity stuff. I mean, you don't have to you don't have to jump into the realm of the theoretical to figure out why Aaron Judge has been one of the two or three or maybe just one best players in baseball this year. Stanton walk loads of bases. Love that. Uh, 42 hits and 136 at bats, 14 bombs, 30 ribs, 309 average, 379 OBP. 1048 OPS, and this is in an era where nobody hits. Yeah. Right? So we're, we're reading off Aaron Judge's statistics, which he's on pace to have the best season since he's had since 2017, as long as he stays active and on the diamond. And this is in an era where the baseball's weird, the Orioles have built a crazy wall, um, <laughs> offense is down around the league. 
uh, people who are having bad seasons have positive OPS pluses, like Joey Gallo, who's recently had a good run of form, mm. but obviously started off the season by striking out near constantly and has been really bad in this Orioles series. Is last time I checked, maybe this series has knocked him down, but he was an, he was an above average offensive player this year. Uh, it doesn't take much to, to eighty five OPS plus right now. Yeah, it doesn't do much to, to hit that mark at this point. So judges putting up career best numbers in the middle of a, an environment where that's barely possible, and it's hard to believe he's doing that. And for the Yankees to, or for someone, maybe it was someone in Judge's side, but it, it certainly seems like the Yankees camp is leaking that they're willing to continue negotiating. That would make that sense. means in the glass half full example that if they're willing to pay him now when he is absolutely walking in flames, then hopefully they'll be willing to pay him something escalating and fair at the end of the season. Because right now, I don't know how you're feeling with regard to how much it's actually going to cost. Um, I don't know if he, I don't think he's reached $300 million territory yet. And they were doing an MLB network breakdown of 30 plus year olds with long-term deals. And most of them, I mean, Marcus Simeon ended up at like 175. Uh, the, the leader of Cano, when he left the Yankees, I think it was 240. Yeah. Um, the leader was, was a rod's 10 year, 275 mil deal which the Yankees and Brian Cashman did uh, in 2007, 2008 offseason. Um, the world has changed since then. And Aaron Judge is maybe an A. Oh, Torres striking out with the bases loaded. Um, is, you know, Judge might be a Judge might be an A-Rod level talent, but A-Rod at that point is coming off multiple MVPs. Yeah. Plays a, you know, plays an in a middle infield position. He's going between short and third. There's just a different level of athleticism I think you can expect out of A-Rod going forward. And then yeah. even, of course, his contract, that didn't last the full length of the contract. He was forcibly retired before they ever got to the end of it. So I think 10 years, 275 mil is a good comp, good-ish comp, but times have changed. You trust Judge less than you would have trusted A-Rod, and they didn't get to the end of that deal. So you do wonder if this ends up getting stopped somewhere in the nine-year range, somewhere around 260. Is that reasonable? I don't know. I really don't know, man. And it's, it's difficult because like I, if I'm judge, I'm not worrying about the years. I'm worrying. I just want a high AAV. So like, what if the Yankees just up the offer 50 million over the same, maybe added one year in and upped at 50 million. Like, is that fair? I don't know. Progressive presents today's to-do list for your cat. Take a nap. Meow till I get food. Get food. Walk away from food. Move to couch. See human. Give cold shoulder. Take a nap. Meow till I get your food. Your pet has a food. very busy schedule, so it's up to you to make sure they're protected. That's why Progressive Car Insurance covers your pets for up to $1,000 if they're ever in a car accident with you. Move to couch. Aggressively clean myself. Take a nap. Meow till I get food. Get coverage get- for your pets with any auto policy from Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Coverage for cats and dogs included with the purchase of collision coverage and subject to policy terms. The only reason I'm concerned about an Aaron Judge extension is um, because the Yankees are going to say, oh, well, we have three 30 million AAV contracts on the books. Um, and two of them are, if Judge were to get his way, two of them are making 36 or more million dollars a year. Um, and it's going to play a role in how they restrict spending. Um, and people in New York pay a lot of money to go to games. They pay a lot of money to get access to Yankees baseball since it's only it's only accessible on a fuck on a few um, cable networks um, and it's not cheap um, and just living in New York and being in the tri-state area in general is costly. So you want a good product on the field. Um, so that's my only beef with an Aaron judge extension. At the end of the day, I don't really care how much players get paid. Um, they're the ones out there dealing with the media every night. They're the ones playing the game every night. They're the ones dealing with um, whatever internal strife is going on or anything of the sort. Um, the players are, uh, they're traveling a ton in baseball. It's one of the hardest, it's one of the hardest sports to endure from, from, uh, you know, a longevity and traveling perspective. So I don't care how much he gets paid. I, I, I care if it's going to be a prohibitive amount, the Yankees are going to say, well, you know what? We've seen it happen the last two years. Hey, if, if we just had a number two starter or maybe just like another you, a guy who could hit the ball, like it, it would have been a different story these last couple of years, but they they mandated that, and that's where they restricted themselves, and that's my only fear. Judge, pay him $300 million, I don't really care. In terms of what he deserves compared to other players, yeah, I think a lot of other players who are going to get or who have gotten the money that Judge either wants or may get 
have more successful careers than he has. Um, and I think that's a different, that's a different lens to look at it through, um, which I think is totally fair. But then you have to realize the amount of money judge makes from a marketing and PR perspective. Um, and you look at a player and you're like, oh, well, they don't deserve to make that amount of money. And it's like, well, you know what? You know who else is making the extra money because he exists? It's like a bunch of guys sitting in the luxury press box. So who would you rather actually have the money? The guys profiting hand over fist and then not really probably going to recycle that money and spend it back within the organization or the player who's getting a fair percentage of the amount of money that he's bringing into the organization. So I think that's also things that we have to grapple with that people don't understand. Nowadays, players are marketing tools. Um, Look how the NBA, the NBA is king at this. They market players, they make a ton of money off their big names. And they, I think NBA players probably get paid the most fairly based on the amount of money that they actually bring in for the league. So baseball's tougher. It's a 26 man roster. You got to pay a lot of guys. You got to fill a lot of roles and voids on the roster, but um, you have to consider the, both of those factors when weighing into this. Um, And I, I, I don't think it's unfair if Aaron judge makes more money because he's, He's a he's a marketing icon for who he is and his stature and the market that he's in. It's all fair game. Yeah, not at all. Nothing wrong with it. And and let's see how the let's see how far the Yankees bend. This was a good step in the right direction. Worth talking about a couple of fellows who were still on our shit list, especially considering that we are in the midst of watching at this moment. Oh what shit! Might up to be one of the worst innings of the season. Um, <laughs> Aaron Hicks. I'm gonna watch this. this was what I'm, I'm watching it right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, ahead of uh, this was when this conversation began. A bases loaded, no out opportunity. Giancarlo Stanton had just walked on a three-two pitch. Very clutch. Glaber Torres for some reason whiffed on a couple of ninety-five mile an hour fastballs, sorted down the middle. You know, it happens to the best of us. Not what you want. Now the bases are loaded with one out for Aaron Hicks, who's worked the count to three-two. He's swung and missed on a couple of fastballs down the middle. He has also uh, fouled off some expertly placed change-ups and fastballs on the corner. So he put himself in a hole with bad swings and then has continued to work the count in the aftermath. Uh, I do not understand the calculus that gets you to that point. I don't know why you can't attack early in the count if you know that you're eventually going to get yourself in a hole. But this game, and Aaron Hicks has struck out on a fastball off the corner the bases are still loaded with two outs. I was trying to say this game could hinge on this at bat. It probably will. Bases loaded, no outs. You cannot keep running Aaron Hicks out there. You can't do it. You can't do it. That's a fastball tailing off the corner. It's ball fucking four. If you're Aaron Hicks, you cannot you cannot loaf towards balls in the outfield, which he's been doing, and which he did in the bloop single that put the Orioles up 3-2 earlier in this game. You cannot work the count to 3-2 and then chase. You can't do that with the bases loaded. He was, what, four for his last 32 after striking out to end the first inning? Two for his last 36. He's, of course, 0 for 2 after that. Two for his last 37 now. This could have changed everything. This is a prime opportunity. Again, the fourth a grand game, slam there, you forget about. Even a, even a two-run double. A single double, there. A single there, you forget about everything. Um, and you, you know, you'll never see, I can't say you'll never see a worse at bat than that. Cause that was a pretty decent at bat, but guess how it ended the same way they always end. It's unbelievable that this man has, has managed to turn himself into this, uh, with the New York Yankees of, of 2022. This is not the most important game of the year, but it is one that Aaron Hicks just blew. Isaiah Kiner Falefa just singled through the hole and bailed him out. Nice. <laughs> Two runs are kind of Fuck Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't. I I, I I I wish I could tell you what's going on with Hicks, man. And um, the uh, somebody tweeted like he was two for his last twenty four a couple nights ago. And I, was I don't like, remember the two. I don't yeah, remember the two. Neither do I. Oh no, he had one hit. He had that hit. He he somehow squeezed a single through the shift in this series uh, with nobody on and like two outs. Oh cool. Um, yeah, I mean somebody point me to the two because yeah. it's every so every that was single one. Day. And there are, I mean there. Every fan, and we talked about this just before we hopped on the podcast, no matter how good your team is, fandom is still based on crying and whining. It's objectively a whiny thing. Yeah, That's why Bill Simmons in the middle of the Eastern Conference Finals is doing, the Celtics just don't have the personnel. Oh, well, better luck <laughs> next year. Like trying to reverse jinx his team. This is billionaires cry and whine. That's what they do. Um, and when you hate the team with the fans that are whining, you're, you're like, oh, yeah, you guys are whining. You guys are babies. But every single fan is a baby. It's a very unfortunate truth. Uh, Higashioka pops up. This inning will end, most likely. 
Yes, 5-3 Yankees. Right. Um, it's a very unfortunate truth, right? You don't want to be considered a crybaby. And if somebody calls you one, you want them to see your point of view. But eventually you take a step back and you realize you're being a baby. We understand complaining about Aaron Hicks with you know a, a 28-9 team with an offense clicking on almost every cylinder and an unbelievable pitching staff comes off whiny. We also understand that when you say somebody never does something with runners, this team can't hit with runners in scoring position. That's also whiny because usually the team has like a 240 average with runners in scoring position. You only remember the times they don't come through. There are, in fact, times when they do come through. You're, you, you know, they might be middle of the pack. They might not be the best. They're probably not the worst. Aaron Hicks never comes through with runners in scoring position. He's down in the low 100s. I believe he's like three for 26 so far this year. And with the bases loaded again, a, a 100 hitter. So in the easiest situation with all the pressure on the pitcher, Hicks is a, a one out of 10 success rate with the bases loaded or, or with runners in scoring position and two outs or fewer. It's completely untenable that he's on this roster and he's on this roster longer than basically anybody else on this roster. Yeah, he's up there with just about everybody. I mean, his career numbers with runners in scoring position are not good. Batting 231 with a 743 OPS. Like, I don't think that that's anything special. With two outs and running scoring position, 216 with a 752 OPS. Um, high leverage, 210 with a 666 OPS. Um, so really not that great. And you look at his career with the Yankees, um, or his career in general. He's a below average hitter, 97 OPS plus, 724 OPS. Um, for a guy who is his profile is walks a ton and gets extra base hits. Um, and the problem always was, was we're talking about it now with Aaron judge, Brian Cashman decided to buy at his absolute highest point after the 2018 season, where he hit a career high, 27 homers, a career high, 79 RBI, um, uh, 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 should probably be a career high 833 OPS. He had an 847 OPS the year prior, but he played in 50 fewer games. Um, and Brian Cashman bought high and that in that offseason and gave him a seven year contract. So I still don't get it ever since that contract 103 OPS plus in an in injury shortened season, uh, 122 OPS plus in the shortened 2020, which I mean, I don't know how that was the case. He was he was totally fine. Um, but, hey, we'll give him credit, 22% above the league average. And then last year, injury shortened season, 73 OPS plus this year. He's had a chance in a very – my biggest thing with him now is that everybody here is healthy and firing on all cylinders. The Yankees got better. Isaiah Conner-Falefa hits for contact and I think is is a smart hitter, even though some of the results haven't exactly gone his way. Josh Donaldson, for as bad as he started off, is turning it around like – in a in a in a in a good way. He's turning around very nicely and you can already see the difference. Giancarlo Stanton, Anthony Rizzo, Aaron Judge all pretty much playing outside of their minds. Um Glaber Torres is having a resurgence. His numbers, you know, they don't exactly look like he's blowing expectations out of the water, but he's a much better ball player than he's been the last two years. Um and even DJ LeMahieu, solid production. You'd like to see more out of him. He dropped into the 260s, but Still OPSing, OPS plusing 117. He's he's getting the offense going. He's he's getting he's getting some clutch hits, and he's playing great defense too. So you can't even really fault him for a dip in the average. Aaron Hicks, I don't know if it's a lack of hustle. I, we we've called out players for lack of hustle previously, and it doesn't go well. I don't know what it is, but doesn't look like that the intensity is up to a 110 level with him in the outfield. The route that he took on that double. At the warning track the other night when Garrett Cole was on the mound was befuddling. I don't know what that was. He ran. Gallo, Gallo had one of those too. To be yeah. fair, yesterday well, Gallo's the, not good the, in left field. We know that the, the Chapman the Chapman save opportunity that came down to second and third, two outs, and we'll talk about him in a second too for Cedric Mullins. The only reason they were in that position because with first and second two outs, Ryan McKenna looped one into left that kind of landed like a, a less than half a foot away from Joey Gallo. And you have to wonder why he went in to cut the ball off mode on like a looping fly ball, uh, unless he just didn't want another embarrassing doink off the glove. But just to, just to be fully clear, I feel like we've had the same complaints about Hicks and Gallo in the outfield yes. this year that a lot of different times you look up and go, how are you not where, why are you where you are? And, and how are you not running faster 
in the direction of where the baseball is. Yeah, and Aaron Hicks is supposed to be a center fielder. That's that's his trade. Um, Joey Gallo is a much better right fielder than he is a left fielder. So when he's making mistakes in left field, I blame that more on the Yankees because they acquired a guy who was supposed to be a versatile outfielder and they don't use him at all in center field where he actually was okay. Um, so Aaron Hicks, if you're not going to perform at the plate, the least you can do, it's the Gary Sanchez argument for the last couple of years. Okay. If you're not going to perform at the plate, that's fine. Being a catcher and hitting the ball at a a historic rate is, is incredibly difficult. You just can't, you can't put yourself in a hole in the defensive end. The defensive end is where you're supposed to just be, be consistent. Just be, just don't be a liability. And Aaron Hicks, I wouldn't, he's teetering on liability at this point on on all in, in an all-around facet because you simply cannot be two for your last 37 in a lineup of guys that are hitting above average and knocking the you have one two three four five six seven seven guys hitting above league average with Tim LaCastro being the seventh and I know he's on the IL but he was getting a lot of run before he went down um and uh you have guys like Jose Trevino Marwin Gonzalez, Isaiah Connor Falefa, um, all delivering clutch hits in some capacity. There's been a lot of production from those guys in spots where you're not really expecting it. And that's kind of turned the narrative on them. It's like, oh, they're not, their overall numbers aren't good. But like, I remember two times when they came through in the clutch, like, that's great. You have no memory of Aaron Hicks doing that at all. Aaron Hicks' only calling card at the moment is his OBP which is 142 points higher than or 135 points higher than his average. But you look at his, how can you be slugging 247 at this point? We're 33 games into the season. You have protection throughout the lineup. And I think that's the biggest complaint around him because he's supposed to be de-emphasized chilling in the, when he bats lead off, it's infuriating. I understand that's going to be a reality for some parts of the year guys, but Aaron Hicks is a guy who's supposed to be at the bottom of the lineup, lengthening it making it more stressful for the starting pitcher when he thinks, oh, great, I got through Rizzo, Judge, Stanton, and Donaldson. Like, whew, little little reprieve here. Joey Gallo coming up, great, I'll strike him out. And then Aaron Hicks is going to come up, and you're like, shit, this is a switch hitter. He works the counts. He is working counts, but he's missing center cut fastballs. He's judging pitches terribly. When he fouls off a curveball, I'm like, do you even know what a curveball is, dude? It's like it's he barely nicks it with like the end of his bat. That's like been the foul tips, which is not which it does not indicate you're right on it. You're just you're the definition of staying alive based on based on the swing and the look of, of, of how it's kind of transpiring. So I think the outrage on Aaron Hicks is fair. He's making a lot of money. I know the injuries that he suffered have been difficult, but I mean, it can't be this and it can't be liability on both sides of the ball. If you're talking one side, fine, but. This is the problem that this team ran into too many times last year where guys were not doing what they had to do on either side. And that resulted in that. That ended up being their fate. Seven for 56 career with the bases loaded entering that at bat, I, I believe. So, Oh no, I guess that was include. Yeah. So seven for 56 hitting 125 career with the bases loaded. That's just not going to cut it. Uh, we are in the midst of a lengthy review. It looks like we're going to have first and second and uh, no outs here for the Orioles. Sick. Uh, it's like Jorge Mateo probably got a little catcher's interference action to me. Um, or or he's not going to first base. Okay. I'm sure this is enthralling for our podcast listeners who will be listening way after. Uh, Miguel Castro starting off the inning uh, joyfully, which, which does lead right into the end of this podcast, which uh, should be all about the closer battle at the back end of this bullpen. Because Aroldis Chapman um, – oh, it is first and second. Yeah, so great. We'll, we'll put those guys great. on. Great. Great job by the Yankees. Uh, this is a, this is a classic fourth game of a four game set from the New York Yankees. Trying to, I'm trying to be normal, and I will be normal guy. Um, the biggest, most glaring issue with being 28 and nine, and you can t- you can again call us whiny all you want, say it as much as you like. Understandable, and again, whining is sports. So yes, this is whining, and opposing fans not going to enjoy this. But the worst part about this record and being the surprise leader of the AL East, and being a team that is sort of separating itself from the pack a little bit, is that every time Aroldis Chapman comes in for a save opportunity, you remember that that is what you're fighting for. That your ultimate goal is to get to the playoffs, advance in the postseason, get to the World Series, and have Aroldis Chapman on the mound trying to close out the most important games of the season. The peripherals at the start of the year were terrible, 
The walk rate is right up there with the worst pitchers in baseball. Yep. The chase rate is almost non-existent. He's throwing half or more of his pitches out of the strike zone and no one is swinging at them. And we told you guys forever, you know, it's he had the most hilarious 0.00 ERA in baseball because that included a number of shaky appearances, but more specifically, it included that Michael King game where he loaded the bases with no outs on walks and King went crazy and stranded all those base runners. And Chapman got credit with the 0-0 ERA for not allowing any runs. Yeah. In and in reality, I mean, come on, folks, just come on. An earned run in his last three outings. Uh, also, that Four. oh, that zero zero ERA also included the game he lost in extra innings in Baltimore uh, with a game losing walk off walk, but he didn't put those guys on, and it was the ghost runner and the sports weird now. So we just hadn't allowed an earned run, but he has in his last three appearances. The Yankees brought him into a de facto mop up appearance uh, earlier this week, where he made a a five. What was it? A three it was run a six, lead? In, in it was nine? a six two game into a six. It was a two six, into a yeah. six three. He gave up a homer in the ninth. They basically just gave him like, all right, it's a four run game. We've warmed you yeah. up. You're coming in, and he couldn't even make that easy. And and also, how many times have we seen them foul ball? Uh, how many times have we seen them warm somebody up repeatedly and then just not bring them in? Right? Like, yeah. You know, using that as it, well, of course, they warmed him up. They got to bring him in. I mean, they warmed up Michael King constantly, and they never brought him in. This is fouled by, like, one inch. Um, so, clearly, they wanted to get Chapman in a four-run game, came in, and he turned it into a three-run game. Then he comes into a legit save situation, a two-run lead against the, again, bottom of the Orioles lineup, right? This is what we talked about in the Toronto game. <coughs> you know, the eight-nine guys who he gives up a, a double and a walk to the worst hitters in the lineup and brings up the best ones. 5-3 game in the ninth. Uh, he's facing 5-6-7-8-9, unless I'm mistaken, and there's a single. So this game is about to absolutely go off the rails. Uh, Well-deserved. They've given up all these runs by sucking, so it's not like you can't say this game was stolen from them. But great job, Miguel Castro. Uh, he will not be the next Yankees closer, unfortunately. Uh, sometimes he has it, sometimes he doesn't. Today, they do not. Um, okay. But Chapman... Five, six, seven, eight, nine gets five and six, and then seven, eight, single, single, and the nine guy loops double down the left field line. All of a sudden, Cedric Mullins is up as the winning run in a game that was two outs, nobody on in the inning. So he has not had a safe looking appearance in this season. I haven't enjoyed a single or rollless Chapman appearance this season. Clay Holmes almost rubbed it in his face in the third game of the series with a one run game. They entrusted him with the eighth and ninth. He was so efficient. He got through both innings on like 20 total pitches and ended up securing a relatively painless victory, again, in a 3-2 game. That if a role does Chapman had come in, I mean, you, I can't even believe, I, I can't imagine that, and I oh, don't want to. No. And we're talking about a road game in Baltimore. Yeah. Not Boston, not Toronto, not Tampa, not the Division Series, not the CS, not the World Series. Talking about game three of a four-game set when the Yankees have already won the first two games. And I'm still saying, oh my God, imagine a role does Chapman in this 3-2 game in the ninth. Clay Holmes is the best reliever in the bullpen. Michael King is the most valuable reliever in the bullpen. Aroldis Chapman is basically nothing right now, and yet he's the one who's always in in the ninth inning with the game on the line. Now, did Aaron Boone show that the door really is open to experimenting with the closer role, or was this just we're not using Chapman three times in three days and fans got really lucky because they got a Clay Holmes breath of fresh air on Wednesday? Oh, they got a yeah. I mean, I don't, I, I don't know. Um, I, I hope that there's going to be some flexibility here. But hey, we got the news: Zach Britton might be back uh, out of nowhere, eight months removed from Tommy John. Said he's feeling really good. He's throwing from 120 feet, uh, and he could be back in the bullpen. Um, but then that makes you a little nervous because you're like Zach Britton and Aroldis Chapman late in the games. I don't know if that's what I want. They should be more flexible with Chapman. At the end of the day, he has no stranglehold over them um, with anything. He's being overpaid. Um, he's not delivering the results um, and he's a free agent after this season. So it's not like the Yankees have to keep him happy or prove something to him or sell him on something. He's done as a Yankee when this year is over. And if he's not, there will be riots um, because nobody wants to watch this guy anymore. And it's sad because you don't really want to say that about somebody, but uh, Aroldis Chapman's entire history has been a little bit complicated. And his, the way that the, the manner in which he arrived in the Bronx was, was uh, was was unsavory to say the least. Don't really want to get into that right now. Um, but yeah, every time he comes in, his velocity is not there. His accuracy is far far gone. 
Um, and it takes him a while to get on track or he'll somehow get on, come in, be on track and then have the wheels fall off. I don't know if it's something wrong with his mechanics. I don't know if it's, if it's mental, you know, a lot of this game is complex and and difficult. So I really don't know what it is, but now we're seeing two straight years of this, um, which has come off the heels of blowing game five of the AL, uh, ALDS against the Rays in 2020. Um, and it, it, it it's a hard position to be in for him because no Yankee fan is ever going to be satisfied with a closer because you had Mariano Rivera for the golden years. And that is true. Yeah, it is true. There's no, there's no comparing and there's no way you're going to outdo that. And Chapman's career numbers are, if he goes a couple more years, he's a hall of fame discussion. Um, he's got 300, he's got 316 saves, I think now, and a, a, a thousand and seventeen strikeouts and 617 innings. Like that's a, that's a really good production. That's a really good major league baseball career. Um, I'm not going to that ceremony, but he is in the conversation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Imagine um, keeping for that one. Yeah. yeah. Oh God. You need to see that plaque. <laughs> um, but he's pitching like a replacement level reliever, making $16 million a year. Um, he's mostly been successful as a Yankee, his career numbers, you can go look at them, but he's blown very high profile games and that switches how you're viewed in the public eye. Um, you look at his career against some of the Yankees most hated competition against the Red Sox care to guess anybody 4.58 ERA and 1.45 whip against the Astros, uh, 5.59 ERA, 1.81 whip. He's bad against the Mets, which I don't view the Mets as a rival, but that sucks ass because now you have to listen to Mets fans talk shit. 5.12 ERA, 1.55 whip. That's not good. Blue Jays, he's been okay. 3.62 ERA, 1.17 whip, but that's not good enough in my opinion. Those aren't closer numbers. Yeah, the only teams he's dominated that he's faced the most are the Orioles and the Rays. Um, And I'm not being – I'm not trolling, but the Rays have not really been – Everyone nowadays is like, oh, the Rays are the Rays. The Rays have only been the Rays for like three, like two years in these in the last like five. Um, so like they've only really broken out into the scene and been that annoying like contender for a couple years. So um, it, it makes sense that he's been able to dominate them. But now far too often we're seeing this inaccuracy. You have Tim Anderson come up after the walk off uh, against Chapman. Um, uh, that was last Saturday and say that, you know, they're not scared. The league is not scared of his fastball anymore. Everybody throws 98, 99 um, Chapman when he can't dial up the velocity is a different pitcher. Now he's introduced a split finger. That's great. But sometimes it fucking dances right over the middle of the plate and it's tee off time. Um, so you, you can understand the frustration there um, from every angle. This is, I think this is one thing Yankee fans are kind of united on. You're not going to, I don't think you have any diehard, our oldest Chapman stands who are like, Oh no, no you, you know, you got this all, you got this guy all wrong, buddy. We, we know we, we look at the underlying metrics. You can't because the underlying metrics also suck. They're not good this year. They weren't good last year. And that's a problem because now you're looking at, and this is my last point on it. Cause I know I've been talking long. You're exhausting clay Holmes in the early going clay Holmes is almost at 19 innings pitched on the year. That's a lot. Michael King, are you going to thrust him into a closer role? Closer role? You fucked with him in every which way possible. Middle reliever, late reliever, spot starter, regular starter. What is Michael King? Now he has a role. He's an old school fireman type deal. Are you going to put him there? Jonathan Lewisega, we don't know what's going on with him. We think, we think secretly he may be injured. I don't know if that's the truth, but there's why does he have a 5.52 ERA? Um, and Lost like I said, location. Yeah, yeah, and like I said, Britain coming back. Britain has only Britain pitched in a very, very bad slate of games last year. And he had a short in 2020 before that. So he doesn't have much mileage on his arm. He doesn't have much quality innings under his belt over the last two years. And now he's coming off a second major surgery within seven months of one another. So you're looking at a bullpen problem here. And, and, and that might be the way that they have to address the trade deadline. And I think it's time to start talking about oscillating Roldis Chapman between the seventh and the ninth. If you can use him in the seventh against a bunch of lefties, just do it um, and reconfigure the bullpen as you would. We've seen plenty of guys enter the game in the ninth these last few years that we know it can work. Um, so I think Aaron Boone needs to be a little bit more flexible and open-minded there because we saw what happened when you let this kind of just keep going. Earl this Chapman spirals four straight games now with an earned run and he has looked terrible. He's probably looked terrible for seven straight games if, if we're being honest. And that's m- almost half of his workload. Something needs to be done. I don't know what it is, but there's got to be more flexibility. 
Cedric Mullins just hit a game tying sack fly to the wall and Aaron Hicks broke in in case you're wondering how things are going. Uh, almost turned it into a triple that rolled all around the field. Uh, great baseball game. We were deadlocked when we started. We're going to be deadlocked, hopefully, uh, around the time that the podcast ends and the Yankees are going to have the late innings to rally here. A uh, lot of ugliness going on. Again, the fourth of four. You're liable to get this, but Aaron Hicks deserves most of your ire. The Chapman problem is that I just don't – so say you remove him from the closers role, and then you've got Clay Holmes going three times a week, right? Where does Chapman go? Is he your seventh inning guy? Do you trust him there, or is he just sort of exiled out of the rotation? I mean, you you need to use a role as Chapman. Yeah. What is he? Is he Wandy Peralta? Is he your lefty specialist who can also face three batters because he legally has to? Is he a guy you see once a week, or is he a guy – who comes into far more high leverage situations, but just earlier in the game uh, or you tunnel him and you try to make a matchup. The problem with the world is Chapman too. We could do 35 minutes of problems with the world is Chapman, <laughs> but let's say you tunnel him. Right. And you're like two lefties out of three, you know, he'll do well against Mullins and then up comes another lefty. Right. Well, he's probably going to walk the first guy he faces. So he's in an immediate hole. He's already ruined your plan. And it's not like, oh my goodness, I thought I had a plan, but then fate conspired against me and it didn't work out. You never have a plan with the role as Chapman. He's gonna he's gonna walk whoever he's gonna walk. And Rugnet Odor just untied this baseball. <laughs> well, we will see you all on Monday. The New York Yankees are down six five. What a horrible baseball game it is, folks. Uh, good series, bad game. Chad Green, bad. Uh just bad green. Here fastball to Rubnet Odor. Yeah, thanks for playing. Uh, this is almost identical to the game they lost earlier in the season in Baltimore. That one ended up being like a 12-run loss. We'll see where this one nets out. We'll be fine. Obviously not, obviously not winning the baseball game, though. Uh, we will see you on Monday. We will be live again. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Drop us a five-star review. Drop us a mailbag queue. We will be more than happy to answer any of your questions. If Aaron Hicks had hit a grand slam, the Yankees would still have a 7-6 lead right now, FYI. That's an wow. interesting fact to me. Um, unfortunately, they don't because Aaron Hicks did uh, absolutely nothing. You can find me on Twitter at Adam Weiner, Thomas Carinante. Where can the people find you? I'm at Tommy's underscore takes, folks. Uh, head on over to yanksgoyard.com. Uh, we got a lot of content up there. Good stuff, too, uh, with our bylines on it. Um, we, uh, we're also on the official Yanks Go Yard Twitter account at yanksgoyard.fs complaining all the time. It's a great time uh, talking trash to other fans, too. We love doing that. Um, have a good weekend, everyone. We're back in the stadium. Back in the Bronx, White Sox are coming back for uh, for a three game set. Um, I, I, I like I like where we're standing. If we lose, I, I think we're going to win today. I'm not even really worried about it. Um, and I mean, got, I'm certainly not yeah. stressed. And you got the White Sox before. coming in, and I think, like I said, they're pretenders. They'll they'll have a lot to prove coming into the stadium this this uh, this weekend. But um, I think the Yankees are rolling right now. It's hard to stop them. Enjoy the weekend. Have some fun watching baseball. Go to a game, whatever. Um, and we'll talk to you again on Monday, 2 p.m. Eastern, live right here. It's true. The man tells no lies. We will see you on Monday. You're the one everyone looks to for answers. Come rain or shine, the job must get done. And you're the one who makes it happen. We get you, Jackie and Fresno, putting your employee safety first. And Manny in Chattanooga, whose local Granger team knows him by name. We're here for you and all the ones who get it done with 24-7 customer support and access to product specialists to help you find what you need. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com.
You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.